This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium, Episode 21 House Rules, and Patreon Announcement! Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Never just like hi, welcome. The here's some two professional people <laughs> talking about this thing. I don't know that we're capable of that, but hi. Well, I mean, we could be. This is me, Matt Martins, and this is Hunter Donaldson. And hi, I'm Hunter Donaldson. We're two professional people who do a professional podcast about a board game that is serious business, and and there's it's no laughing matter. It sounds like you're. I don't like this. It sounds you don't like, like you're about bit. to do a gif. I'm goof. not. I'm not doing a goof. This is this is serious business. Look at me and say that you're not doing a goof. I'm looking and, at you. And I want to believe it. I'm not. And we're not going to start until you say it, and I believe it. We're n- I'm not doing a goof. Why do you have to put that goofy, <laughs> the F on it? No. The goof. I, uh, just say it. Just just, okay. just do it straight. Okay. Okay. Just, you're, you're, it, this is acting class now. Am I saying this to you, or am I saying this to, to the You're audience? saying it to me. Okay. This is actually, I am okay. the listener right okay. now. All right. Okay? They... They don't look at them. Okay. They not, do not matter. I'm not looking at them right now. Don't look at them. Okay. Hunter, I'm not doing a goof. That was pretty good. It was close. <laughs> it was almost there. Well, it okay. Not, it was definitely passable. It was passable. We're going we're gonna to hammer it out. We're going to hammer it out. But today, uh, we want to start the episode off by thanking you. Hey. Hey. Hey, you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um. Thank, thank you all so much. Thank you. Oh, man. Are we ever going to get to where we talk about why we're thanking them? Yeah, so the Patreon is out, is up. We have a Patreon now, and to some of you, that was an important thing, and so we wanted to, to put that out there, and it's important to us to be able to do more with this podcast, and so we started it, and it very quickly did uh, better than we expected. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's all, It has already we, done way better than I expected. We kind of expected nothing, um, and we were just you know hoping that a couple people would want to would wanna pitch in, and, it, and it's just been doing very, very... Um, well, compared to what we thought it would, and so we want to just thank everyone who's contributed, and, and we needed to lead with that today. Yeah. And also let people know, because we haven't said it on the podcast yet, we have a Patreon now, and uh, it'll always be included in our links and stuff like that, and we, we would love it if you want to take part of it. We'll talk more about the specifics of the Patreon at the end of this episode, but we just wanted to say thanks, and you know, I kind of also just want to say thanks to everyone who listens, because like, we wouldn't put up a Patreon if we didn't have a podcast where lots of people listened to it, right. and so it's kind of, not only did our Patreon do better than we ever expected, but this podcast has done miles better than we ever thought it would be so we just want to thank you for listening right yeah we didn't expect this podcast to be anything yeah, whatsoever we just started it doing literally it. yeah there was very there's like no planning it just kind of was like yeah, yeah let's yeah we'll do this is something we, we were just going through a phase where we were trying everything we were too, trying everything like, and we were just excited because they announced ti4 so <clears throat> let's Let's get into the meat of today's episode. Yeah, let's do. Let's which, give you a real episode of Space Cats Peace Turtles. This is this is going to be. We're taking a break from the strategy guides for two reasons. One, just because it's nice to have a little filler episode every now and then, and two, we're like really starting to run into the races that are either like not very good or are like more difficult to nail down a solid strategy. I mean, like the Jolnar. 
everyone knows what you do with Joel Nahr. That right. strategy guide wrote itself. But now we're getting into ones where like it's requiring a couple games for us playing that race to to get an idea of what we really want to put down in the episode. And so we need to play those games before we can put out those episodes. So we're 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 slowing down a little bit just to make sure we're giving you as well thought out ideas as we possibly can. Right. Yeah, we want we want these guides to have a like to last at least you know, a month, a month or two <laughs> before they become like irrelevant or like a lot of the races that we have left. I feel like our races that both me and Matt feel like there is a lot of thought and pre-production that needs to go into yes. the episodes. Mm-hmm. And so in order to like not do that, we decided this week that we would talk about um, something that I think is definitely worth like yeah. talking about, right. but it doesn't fit into the scheme that we've been going. Yes thus far so we want to talk about house rules today yeah and the biggest thing we want to talk about and it's going to take up a huge chunk of the episode it's something i've been promising for like three weeks is like that we would put out like a video but honestly we did a video i had been editing it and it was just coming off a little weird i might still try to do another video in the future that is like a succinct version of what we're going to talk about today but we want to talk about hunter and i's co-op galaxy building method so before we start the game, like, how do we build the galaxy? Because basically the rule book is incredibly vague about how to do mm-hmm. these things, and it leaves some gaps where it's kind of open to your interpretation, which is part of the fun of Twilight Imperium, is, like, you get to just mold it a little bit to your desires of your playgroup. Um, but we want to talk about why we started doing a new method and what that method pertains to. So first off, what is a co-op build method, Hunter, and why are we not just doing it rules as written? Um. Well... The reason we're not doing it rules as written is because uh, competitive galaxy creation has Which is what no... we call it. It's not really called that, but we call it competitive. Because... Right. It makes it more difficult to talk about strategy yes. when you're basically playing like a separate game before the real game mm-hmm. that might like really mess things up for certain yeah. players and throws in a lot more random variables. Yes. And honestly, I really wouldn't say that anyone talking about Twilight Imperium from a random galaxy creation like kind of standpoint really like has a lot to stand on when it comes to strategy because right. if you might be dealing with a pie slice that is like wildly stacked against you yeah. i'm not really sure what strategies you You're should be employ. doing yeah. yeah and and we played too many games of Twilight Imperium 3rd edition where you would have that game where it was just like, I never stood a chance because I had two resources in my home system and like all empty space. Like one person got a great hand, they overloaded their pie slice and like, of course they ran away with it. And so after numerous games doing it that way, we tried to come up with something that would force us to build a balanced galaxy. And the quickest and easiest method was treating map generation like a cooperative thing. Right. We as a group want to design the most fun map for everyone to play on because the biggest thing about this is you're playing a game of Twilight Imperium, which can range from like four to 15 hours. Why would you let a bad map ruin that experience? Why not everyone just work together to make a good map that is going to benefit not just everyone's strategies, but everyone's fun. And ultimately make the game more competitive. I mean, it's a cooperative galaxy creation method, but the goal is for it to be a very competitive map to to, play on. You want it to be balanced so that everyone has a chance, so that everyone is fighting each other, rather than there's there's the hills and the valleys, like the completely dead side of the galaxy just never stood a chance against the other ones, and so there wasn't even real competition. There were three people not playing the game. 
Right, but we also are not really in favor of the very static practice of just playing like the same pre-made over right. and over. That we believe the cooperative method is like the best of yes. both worlds where it's not going to be just like a completely fair, completely static, everything has been mapped out right. and you're always playing basically the same yeah. galaxy we, over and over. We it's play, not that either. Yeah, we played a lot of pre-mades for a while and it just got really stale for us. With In TI3, you know, Hope's End and the trade stations would always be towards Mechatol Rex and the artifacts were always in the exact same spot and it just became like too planned out it felt like you were playing a different strategy game because if the map is the same every time then where where are you shaking things up the only thing shaking things up are the different races but like different galaxy builds impact the game in a huge way and so we wanted to kind of combine those two things so yeah we this this co-op method makes it to where we get to come up with fun interesting decisions for the galaxy and have them be different every single time my goal for this episode is that by the end of it you are able to run a game exactly the way that we do and also just so we can be completely straightforward with the audience and let them know like this is how we run games so when you hear us make you know various statements about how races play you you kind of need to know where we're coming from. It's pretty in order stupid for that, that we're doing this episode halfway through of our course. strategy guides. Of if course. we had done this first, everyone would know where we're coming from with every single one of our strategy decisions. So yeah, today we're going to break down everything we do to start a game. Uh, we'll talk about kind of the variants because we don't do it the same every single time. We kind of have our preferred methods, mm-hmm. but there's definitely things we use to shake it up. So we're going to try to work through like what all the other options are because every group is different. And so your group might want to change up some of our things and we'll just go through the things we've thought of that are other options. And this isn't going to be just galaxy creation as well. This is we're going to run you through the entire pregame yes. up till like the first turn, right. basically. So we're going to do it almost in rule book order mm-hmm. so the first thing we do when we're coming to the table or the first thing we want to talk about doing is how do you determine the speaker because that's what the rule book says is the first thing you do um for us determining speaker has kind of gone back and forth between should it just be randomized someone random gets the speaker that's what the rule book says to do and it works it's good um but we always kind of had this interest in trying to counterweight the speaker token with other factors and that's been a big draw for us in this whole galaxy creation and game start uh, method it's trying to find ways for to have all the systems play off of each other rather than rolling a dice for like four different steps to make a bunch of different decisions like how can we make everything influence each other so for us we like to roll and we'll get into the specifics of like picking seating positions and picking factions and stuff but know that we balance speaker token off of where each player sits so when we Mm -hmm. choose seating order we everyone rolls a die the highest roller gets to pick where they sit first and the lowest roller who will not have an option because they'll just be left with whatever piece of the pie is left over they automatically get the speaker token so in lieu of not getting to choose your home slice and not really getting to like pick your strategy one is just handed to you you also get to get speaker token and pick strategy cards first so that's kind of our counterbalance there this is also good because it takes what some groups use as two separate roles mm-hmm. and it just combines them it's just right. one role for position the person who loses yeah. gets speaker. It's now, some, really that some people don't like that, though, because we, we've heard the argument that, well, you're giving something great to the person who picked last, but what about the person who picked second to last? They only had a choice between two things. So, I don't know, Hunter, what's what's kind of our argument there of what what is the second to last player 
getting the, the from second this to deal. last player knows all the variables. Right. Like they they're looking at it and they know exactly where speaker is going to be. Right. So they can pick based on that. Um, yeah. And also, like, it's hard talking about speaker first a little bit because it's tied to so, so many much, so many other things. But I feel like the reason we're bringing it up first is just because the rule book right. says we so. And also, it kind order. of like it kind of resonates in a lot of the yes. other discussions um, with how we do faction reveal. Right. You, as that second to last person, not only do you know who's sitting where, yes. where the speaker will be, but also what races are going to be where, except right. for the speaker's race. Yes. Um, and we will get to that more later. But the whole idea that we're really trying to get across here is that for us, the speaker is a counterweight yes. to other pre-game ritual right. stuff. And and I just think it makes it, honestly, it makes it more interesting to me because the more just everything being random you get, the, the more it feels like you didn't have any impact. And when you build the co-op galaxy, you're already kind of introducing this idea of like, there's not a lot of ownership, and what people always wanted is like, well, I want to be able to have some sort of strategy going into it, and so by balancing these things off of each other, it gives us the opportunity for you to feel like you had some choice in the matter, basically, mm-hmm. um, rather than it just being all based on random rules. So after um, Speaker, which really wouldn't be the first thing you do, it's choosing faction, and the rule book <laughs> lists the way you choose faction. It's, a, it's one sentence, and it reads... Each player chooses one faction sheet. This is his faction for the game. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it. So not a lot to go off there. And, of course, choosing your faction is, like, the most important choice you make in the entire game. I mean, oh, that for sure. completely determines your strategy, as we've pointed out, by doing umpteen number strategy guides so far right and the strategy guides aren't based on like where you're seated at the beginning of the game they're based on what race you're right so this is a huge choice and to just like have people pick one well where does how does that even work who gets to pick first what if two players want to pick play the same race exactly how do you resolve that so there are numerous methods to doing this and our preferred one is what we just call the veto method which is you you can roll randomly highest roller gets to do this method first but this method doesn't necessarily grant you a great choice first because what you do is you draw one system tile mm-hmm. home you, system one tile. one home system tile and you look at it you know who the race is ooh i drew isarl mm-hmm. i can either choose to yes i will now play isarl or i get to veto isarl and i put it back into the stack and i draw a second race if it's Muat and I don't want to play Muat today, I veto a second time. I put Muat back. Whatever my third draw is, I'm stuck with it, no right. matter what. So you don't get to... That, that is different than what is pretty commonly done, which is a draw two or draw three, pick one. That's a pretty common method of just like, you draw three, you look at it, you go, mm, I got Asaril, Muat, and Necro. I want to do Necro. Right. This forces you to consider the odds of what you might get, right? So if you, the first one you draw is barony and you're like, I'm not really much of a barony player. I could try again, but I might draw Winu next and I really don't want to play as Winu. So maybe I'll stick with barony and, you know, give it a give it a solid try. I, 
I think the veto method is the best way to get people to pick sort of middling races rather than Jolnar being in every single game and Hakan being in every single game. We, we noticed that with the veto method, we got a lot more variation in the races that we were playing with. It also just makes that choice really dramatic. Yes. Like it makes you it's feel like you've really like, oh man, like in like to to draw a race that you're like, oh, this is pretty good. I, I, I would I be happy with this? I don't know, but who knows what I might get? Like that right. gamble. I mean, I've even had situations with the veto method where I really screwed myself over and ended yeah. up playing a race that I didn't want exactly. to. And there's something kind of fun in the push pull yes. of that yeah. that I think gets lost with like a draw two or draw three pick one kind of situation where you're. This kind of comes down to personal preference, but I generally like. Like at least half of the races right. of I Twilight like playing a different race every time. We've yeah. played with some people who like they really think about their strategy going into it a lot and they want to pick the exact right race that's going to help them win. They want to win the game, so they're going to pick the race that helps them win best. I think Hunter and I have always played like I want to play different than I played my last game. Right. So I want to I want to try a new race. We're really into playing as every single race. If I've played Jolnar twice within the last like two months, I will probably actively avoid Jolnar for mm-hmm. another two months or mm-hmm. whatever. It also makes it more special when you do play a race that you yes. have like a high affinity with. I've only played, I mean, my favorite race in Twilight Imperium has always historically been Hakan, and I've only played one game as Hakan at this point. In but TI when 4, I did, yeah. it felt very, in TI4, yeah. And But when I did, it felt very special. Yes. And when I play them again, it will feel very special. Right. And it's because I'm not wearing it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just to say other m- methods here, um, outside of the veto method, one that we've been doing a lot recently, purely because Hunter and I are actively really trying to play specific races. So the veto method doesn't work for Hunter and I right now because we're working on these we strategy have, yeah, guides. We have different needs yeah. right when, now. when we finish the strategy guides, we will probably go back to just like veto. We're playing everything all the time. But right now, what we've been doing is a week before the game, we kind of divvy up all the races between everyone playing um, and there's just lots of conversations, and you all come to an agreement of, like, Hunter is either going to play Hakan, Jolnar, or Necro. And we know it's going to be one of those three, but Hunter isn't going to decide until some other step in the process. But we kind of divvy everything up, and so everyone has their options. You can do that randomly, or everyone can talk through it and choose it, whatever. But the idea is just going into galaxy building. Everyone knows, face up, what all of the options could be. Mm-hmm. And it's been pretty fun. Um, it gives you a lot of opportunities to do other things in Galaxy Building that we'll go over. But it's nice being able to look at Hunter, know what some of the options are, and think to myself, do I want to be Hunter's neighbor knowing he might be Hakan? Is that something I want to take? Or do I want to actively avoid that? But he might not even pick Hakan, so I'm not making like a solid choice, but it's kind of... I'm weighing the pros and cons of what could happen. Yeah. I I mean, I miss the drama of the veto method, Mm -hmm. but honestly, this has felt like a pretty good compromise as well. I will be excited for when we are done with the first round strategies and we can go back to kind of just like, I don't know what's going to happen, man. My favorite part of TI, well, not my favorite, but, but the fun thing in the beginning is when everyone sits down and you're doing this veto thing because it's just like the day starts and I have no idea what I'm about to get myself into that. That's, that has always been, 
part of our experience with TI. A lot of people really want to know what they're playing long beforehand, but for us, it's always been like, oh, you were given this, time to start rolling with the punches. What are you going to do? Like figuring out strategy on the fly, really kind of diving into it. It's also kind of like a poker face moment for when other people are looking at their races. Like you can kind of see like things happening on their faces (laughs) and trying to make assumptions. Like sometimes people like draw the first thing, nod to themselves and then put it down and you're just like, oh no. Oh God, what did they get? Right. The other option within this veto method, this isn't something we've ever explored, but it's something I've always thought about doing is if you veto a race, you could consider as a group when something gets vetoed, it's vetoed for everybody. Ah. Now this puts a lot of power in whoever goes first because they get to burn some potentially good races. But I don't know. It's it's something to just mention for for you and your group. There, there's I just think there's a lot of fun things you can do in race selection that can turn it into like we were almost just saying, kind of like a gambling game of like yeah. really figure it like don't plan too much ahead. Like let it be something that you roll with the punches on. Let it be something that you you figure out as you go. Yeah, I love the excitement of that. Yeah. Um, um kind of a minor note to go along with this point. Um, we. Personally, the way we deal with revealing the faction mm-hmm. that each player is um, playing is that we actually do it once you've picked your seat after we've built the entire yes. galaxy. We basically finish everything else. Nobody knows what they're sitting next to. They only know who they're sitting next to. And then everyone on three, two, one, reveal. Right. And then it's kind of, A, just this fun moment of like, oh no, I'm next to Muat. Oh, how this is going to be terrible. Oh gosh. And then also just like it... it keeps you from making too many specific choices of like actively playing against one person. I think right. revealing last is important so that you don't have a necro actively try to sit next to Jolnar. Sure. But we also have done it as we go though, right. where like once you pick your spot, you sit down and reveal. Right. So there therefore like people who are picking later like like we were talking about um you know, whoever picks right before the speaker, what do they get? If you've revealed races, then they actually get quite a lot of information out of that. And that's a nice way to counterbalance it too, because yes, the person who rolled highest gets their pick of the litter with positions. They're going to pick the best possible pie slice they can choose, but everyone else gets to kind of play against them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a nice counterweight. It's something I think we're going to keep trying to do and see if it still feels balanced in the future, but it's something I I like uh, doing. The other way you could reveal factions is kind of how the rulebook dictates it or or has a lack of dictation, which is just like your faction is revealed from the get-go. And like we've kind of pointed out, we just don't think this is very strong because like everyone knowing who everyone is leads to a lot of weird decisions getting made and i don't know we, we like the the middle ground kind of balanced approach more than just like everyone's fractions are face up and here we go with the pre-game stuff i know i personally want it to feel like risky and yes. gamey yeah. but i do not want it to feel like we are playing against each other before we've played exactly. that's the part that i don't like is the cross player stuff i don't want someone to feel like they've won the game because of what happened before the game started that's the right. biggest thing with all of this galaxy creation stuff is we had too many games where it felt like it was decided because of what happened in the first 20 minutes of this, this 10 a long hour game, game for that to yeah. be the case yeah. like that's not it's too much so like find ways to keep it fun but without hurting decisions too much let it be fun decisions where it's just like everything's a gamble and it's all yeah. a little bit random but a little bit you know player choice 
I like the idea of the pregame, all of the challenge be you versus the game system. Exactly. And not you versus, versus all other, the other players exactly. because there will be plenty of time for yes, that. That's okay? all you're like, doing for the rest of the day. Like, yeah. Just deal. I think you just deal with the systems yeah. and try and get like, okay, I want this to work out for me. I want this to be good for me. And the challenge in that is like, well, it's a lot of random yeah. serving parts yeah. that you got to fit into somehow. Yeah. So the next thing the rulebook dictates is that everyone chooses color, and we thought this was important to bring up <laughs> because there is only one option for color, and that is you must match the piece's color with whatever makes sense for the race that you are playing. If I play one more game where Jolnar is like yellow or something, I'm going to throw a hissy fit. Mm -hmm. Jolnar is purple, or Jolnar is blue, or Jolnar is dead. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Those are the two options. Those are literally it. And it's kind of fun trying to think of, uh, we didn't really like figure it out because it's so silly, but yeah. like trying to think of how, our, how we feel about what what races get the dominant color right. like if you've got isarl and extra which one gets, gets to be green? green yeah yeah it's obviously extra but obviously <laughs> um and the only way you can really decide this is all six players need to have their races revealed because you have to sometimes decide who's gonna get the green and it's just like unacceptable for people to work outside of things so if extras in the game they get green and isarl maybe gets yellow the biggest to get serious for a second this is all a stupid point but honestly for me, it really does confuse me when I look at the game board and I see a green command counter in a space with, like, a blue unit or, like, yeah. a black unit. Yeah, it throws you it, off. It, it really messes with my head of, like, was that that person's activation or somebody else's? And I, it's just, like, extra processing time in a game that, like, I'm already trying to process a lot of information. Yeah, actually, let's make this a very serious point. <laughs> Twilight Imperium is a game with a lot of visual information, yeah. and why are there these people out there trying to complicate yes. that even yeah. further? What is your problem? <laughs> there's, there's definitely been uh, some debate about, like, why didn't they just release six sets of command tokens that are just the player colors and it's like well that's fair but also it's fun to have yeah, the little hey, logos. yeah come on give us a little bit of theme um <laughs> but yeah so so in general decide who's playing and and make the colors fit or i'm walking away from the table yeah i'm not i'm not gonna play with you <laughs> i'm straight up not gonna play with you if you if you can't get this race color thing figured out and if Extra you're colorblind, I'm, I'm sorry. This has all been deeply offensive. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really sorry about that. Hakan, <laughs> yellow, okay? That's it. Hakan, yellow. Hakan, there's not... There's no one else that gets yellow over Hakan's Hakan. yellow. Yeah, that's it. That's... You can't make a case to me that somebody else deserves yellow more than Hakan. <laughs> like, you literally cannot. <laughs> I will uh, scream. So the next point is, um, it says distribute planet cards in the rulebook. And um, I only wanted to point this out of when we're doing our co-op galaxy build, which we're about to get more in detail on, um, it's just important to note that the rulebook would basically have you have this hand of planet cards and um, keep them secret, right? You're playing against each other, so don't let anyone know what's in your hand. Yeah. But when we're doing the co-op build, that kind of doesn't matter, and everyone can play face up because you're trying to build this galaxy together. Like, there's no need to try to pull some slick stuff on somebody else because like at the end of the day 
again, you do not know where you're going to sit, so there is no point in like trying to force some sort of strategy on a particular system tile. Yeah. You are working together right now. You are not playing Twilight Imperium yet. You are playing Galaxy Builder. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so all that being said, Face Up is something that I encourage, but also a little bit of secrecy is, is fun. And I don't like it when people try to do it in a malicious way, but it is fun when someone like drops the wormhole right next to Mechatol and everyone's like, oh, okay, here we go. It's one of right. those games. Like, right, it'll just feel like somebody He's making a bold choice yes. and we're gonna try and figure it all out together how to make this bold yes. choice work yeah. how to honor honestly like this method is not about shutting people's no. creativity down exactly. it's about looking at what somebody point. wants to do and be like all right let's make a map that works yeah. with that choice i think generally the way we kind of treat revealing our hands is for the first ring maybe even the first two rings no one reveals anything Mm -hmm. and then when we get into the last the very final ring it kind of becomes okay we need to know what's left so that we can figure out how to place this stuff let's let's all open up our hands and and start actually building this it gets more cooperative as it goes on it doesn't need to be like if like we're not really i hope this doesn't sound to you like we're these like micromanaging people and we're like all right well we've got this goal already we really go we really swing with the punches and then towards the end of the method we start talking about like okay well who like how is this slice stacking up to the others what always happens is you get close to the end or even like you you are done with it and then you look at like one particular pie slice and everyone realizes oh we kind of like ignored this for too long and now this pie slice is is ruined Mm -hmm. and so something i'll say up front before we get into like really how we start picking stuff is at the end of building everything feel free to make changes to things that you have done. It is okay to swap some tiles around to make it something that everyone wants to play. Again, you are playing this together and you're about to play this game for a long time. Don't force a situation where one player gets to be like, from the get-go, I'm screwed. I have this horrible pie slice. Like, make it where everything works in a way that people are excited to play it. There can be a pie slice that doesn't have that many planets in it, but, you know, like, the most fun thing to have happen sometimes is I have the supernova adjacent to my home system, but I also have a Biz Freya adjacent to my home system. And I also have like the good side of a wormhole. So this is like a really weird, interesting dynamic pie slice. Uh, and, and that is more fun than perfectly balanced. Everyone gets a two planet system and a one planet system adjacent to their, you know, like we're not talking about doing that. We're talking about having fun decisions, but just making sure you always keep an eye on how the balance is feeling and, right. and making sure it, it feels good to every player. Yeah, every time someone makes a choice for a slice that would kind of hurt that slice or penalize right. that slice, that's totally fine. But maybe you give them something, something good. on the other end, and, yeah. Yeah, on the other side. Make sure every player feels like they could stand a chance at winning in every pie slice position. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be a single pie slice where a player is like, if I'm there, I'm screwed. Right. That, that should never be a, a thing. Let's break down, like, in order how yes. we do this. Let's start with the first ring, the ring around Mechatol. Right. Every single game of Twilight Imperium, you're going to start, and Mechatol's going to be there, and then you're going to start building that first ring. Yes. What do we always talk about yeah. when we're doing so, the first ring? To get into what we're really discussing here, this is less formulaic, like, this is how you need to build your galaxy, but this is more, these are Hunter and I's considerations as we're building the galaxy. Mm-hmm. So you can make your own considerations, and we're going to go over, like, 
kind of what our pecking order for like important things to consider are. But for us around Mechatol, the most important thing is don't make Mechatol Rex a desert. Yeah. It is not fun for every single good planet to be out towards the out, outer reaches of space. That doesn't incentivize competition. Right. You want things that draw people out of their home slice a little bit and get towards the center of the map. Mechatol Rex, especially now in TI4, there's not as many reasons to go for Mechatol Rex. So you need to get people out on the board for other reasons. You want to give decent places for people to hang out on so that they can do transactions with others. So don't put all of your anomalies and all your empty spaces adjacent to Mechatol. God, especially not all your empty spaces. It's so That's boring. the one I hate to yeah. see, really. Um, do Make interesting decisions. Don't don't go crazy, but we. I, I think in general, my number one thing is I always hope for there to be at least two systems adjacent to Mechatol that have some sort of planets yeah whether it's a single bad system or new albion star point or whatever some it's it's always nice to have two systems that people can occupy adjacent to mechatol the other four kind of dealers choice we love to have a wormhole next to mechatol yeah the other side of that always. wormhole wherever that ends up it's it's usually an interesting bad decision or good side, exactly really. it doesn't yeah. even matter yeah and when we say bad or good side the good side of a wormhole is the side with a planet because a player can better defend that mm-hmm. side the empty side the empty space side of a wormhole is significantly worse because they're very hard to defend very hard to hold there's no way you can ever get pds there right. unless you're extra with that flagship right or whatever so it's it's it is nice to have the good end of um, wormholes towards the center, but it's also preferable to have the good end near home systems because if an you empty can, end you ends can do up, it either way. you can do yeah. it either way. So, but just be, I guess, be cognizant of what you are doing to impact exactly, those and that's all that we are saying with any of this stuff. There's nothing really good or bad. It's right. just like whenever you make a choice, there is a They're counterbalance and weak, and right. you need to level those things out against each other. Right. I love my personal preference for Mechatol is I like there to be at least one funky side. Yes, one side where there is like a weird anomaly yeah. or like a gravity exactly. rift is great. Yeah, um, just I hate I, nebulas next to Mechatol Rex. I don't I say like that, that much, too much either. But gravity rifts and asteroid fields are are always fun yeah. and fine yeah like some anomalies some at least maybe one juicy system yeah. is always good um and yeah like it doesn't it doesn't have to be perfect but just like definitely don't like w- when we did the competitive method in ti3 all the time mechatol was just like a wasteland so it was nothing yeah. Yeah. Everybody just wanted to hog all the good stuff. For and that would be boring. That would yeah. lead to a boring game because everyone would sit and hole up. Everyone had enough resources directly adjacent to their home system to where they could just sit there and accumulate points. Yeah. you got to draw people out. Yeah. Let's talk ring two. Yeah. There's, um, we want to divide ring two into two different factors. There's, there, are, there are equal parts of mm-hmm. these two different types of positions. The first are your positions that are equidistant between two players. Um, I've heard people call them token systems. I've heard a lot of different things. But these are the systems that no one has an exact claim on because two people, it takes just as many spaces for them to get to those systems. So your things that are kind of catty-cornered from two separate home systems. So you have those, and then you have your systems that are directly on your path to Mechatol and are also the very first systems you'll be placing that are adjacent to a home system, Mm -hmm. that outermost adjacent system that is on their path to Mechatol. So with that one that's uh, on path to Mechatol Rex, this is another thing of like, I don't necessarily love it being supernovas or um, nebulas because drastically slowing down someone's ability to get to Mechatol 
never feels very good. Now, with some races, it's not a big deal. If Embers of Muat end up next to the system where Supernova is in their way... That's interesting. That's actually fun and interesting. So you might leave room for that to be a possibility. But in general, I don't like to clog up the path to Mechatol too much. Don't put an empty system and a nebula on the way to Mechatol because that's going to really impact that person's game. And it's, uh, again, this isn't... These are not rules of thumb. We're not saying don't do this right. ever. What we're saying is that if you if you do put something crappy on the path to Mechatol, then you should do something else. Yes, like give them also, something good on the yeah, other side. Also swing yeah. it around. None of these... We're, we're not really telling you there's anything you can't do. No. So much as we're trying to get just like a specific mindset to create good competitive maps. Right. Um, the equidistant stuff is really interesting yes. and actually my favorite placement stuff because anything equidistant is, I think, where you can put the best like yeah. hexes the, in the game. Right, the best planets or the craziest systems. You, yeah. I love gravity rifts that are in between yeah, that's two players because then rift. it's like this weird competition between them of like maybe i'll jump through it and get into their stuff putting barrig and lerda four between two players is always nice because mm -hmm. letting anyone stake claim to those planets is always a little bit scary but making two people fight over it that's going to be a game you have on your hands right and that's that again that fuels competition that's what we're looking yes. for generally i don't know supernovas aren't super interesting in that spot it kind of just depends on what you I, want i actually though. don't mind supernovas in the equidistant spot because actually you're right because it, it makes can make, fun funnels and kind of interesting and it can mess up the way that people are thinking about like like i don't know that like it makes it where people won't see different places yes, that they can get to exactly. and you won't realize that someone can oh wait i can be I attacked can here around. from there because yes. of this supernova yeah um, another note on the planets that are on the path to Mechatol. This is just sort of my preference. I always think the best ones for these positions are the sort of boring one or two resource yeah, it planets. Yeah, should be like the safest like yeah. placement that you do. Because yeah. the other two adjacent planets you're going to do... I always kind of call them your pocket systems. They're right next to you. They're they're yes, they're between you and another player, but they're kind of more than anything those are yours. The right. one right in front of you, a lot of crazy stuff happens there because people are coming through that area, but the two that are to your left and right, those are more like ostensibly your systems. Yeah. Um, and so it's more fun for those to be kind of middle ground decent planets and the the boring planet can be out there towards Mechatol. So Let's move on to the final ring. Ring three. This is the one that takes the longest. This, this takes a the, long time. Big, you you should time. try to fly through the other two because honestly, you're going to make so many change. Well, we make so many changes after we've built everything else because we just, there were things we weren't paying attention to along yeah. the way. So don't plan too much in the first two rings. But in the third ring, first off, all you're going to be placing now are systems that are adjacent to home systems, either on someone's right or on someone's left. Mm -hmm. Every system is now one of those. And two, you're just left with whatever is in people's hands still, which sometimes can be really weird stuff because people don't always plan ahead enough mm -hmm. for this phase. And so it gets a little kooky. So I would say the biggest thing is this is where you start fixing problems. Mm -hmm. Up to this point, you've just let decisions happen. Ooh, that, was, that, that makes that part crappy. Oh, well. Now you go, okay, this home slice is in trouble and we need to give them something good to help them out. This mm -hmm. is where you fix broken slices or you start to damage powerful slices. Yeah. Yeah, like somebody's got Barragulator 4 in Adjacent their high slice. Well, they better not be getting like a bunch of other advantages right. as well. That better be mostly what they've got. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing here is I would say this is where you really start swapping tiles around. You don't need to yeah. build everything and then swap. You can kind of go, actually, it makes more sense for us to swap this asteroid field with this so that we kind of even out the resources. Don't do too much of that until you fully built it because you're going to be 
kind of consistently changing things. Mm-hmm. But if you've once you've got everything built, look at it, and now is the time where the whole group needs to kind of start deciding if they are cool with every pie slice. And I would say for me, a big general rule for this is I don't think it should be up to the majority. I think if one person is very vocally against one particular decision, the rest of the group should should take heed of that and do something about it. If yeah. five players like the map, but one player is like, I, I would hate to end up in that spot. Don't ruin that player's game because if they end up there, they're not going to be happy the whole time. And that, or if anybody that ends up there, right? If they're right, you know, like, and that happens a lot when we are putting maps together because, like, not everyone will really be looking at every single spot like equally. Yeah. So there will be times where where it'll be like somebody will be like, "Hey guys, like, look yeah. at this slice," and we'll look at it. And we'll be like, "Oh yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Like, that's not a really good." And spot. depending on how you are, how you've picked your faction, sometimes you know in the back of your head, I I know I want to play ghosts, and I would really love it if a wormhole was close to a home system. I might not get that home system, but I would like that to at least be an option. I love that interplay, too, of just, like, of being like, I want to try and make this cool thing happen, but the way that we set the game up, I'm not guaranteed it, but but there is a chance. Exactly. You can make a little bit of a say. So when you are deciding on this, get very diplomatic, but don't rule only by majority. And then also, as you're swapping tiles around, try not to break the rules of the game yeah mainly meaning don't put anomalies next to each other and don't put the same side of a wormhole next to each other because those never lead to good things if a Especially supernova the is wormhole one. the wormhole like, make sure is that's boring interesting yeah. that, the wormhole placement should always be fun yeah it should always encourage competition yeah and and make sure you don't wall somebody off with bad anomalies or something like that there's yeah. nothing worse than just like uh, I only have one pathway out of my home system because the supernova and an asteroid field are right next to each other or whatever. Yeah. So, and, and that's um, that's about it for actual galaxy building. Again, to reemphasize these points, it is all about making an interesting galaxy and making it fun. Don't spend too much time making sure every single decision is as strategically perfect as it could possibly be. You right. are not making a pre-made map that is supposed to be perfectly balanced. There are going to be some systems where it is better in this way, but worse in this way. Maybe this system has two or three tech specialties, but not as many resources. Mm-hmm. But you get to use, you, you might be able to jump up tech really easily depending on who you're playing as make decisions like that where there are all these different balances and you're not just making a perfect galaxy you're making a fun galaxy and the emphasis is on fun and not strategically perfect because you're here to have fun i hope well matt how do we determine what is a fair home slice then what is the criteria that we use to, to counterbalance all of this fun so hunter and i have drawn up kind of our tier list our pecking order and we only say what ours is so that you can think about the different factors and how you might want to organize it with your group. This is going to vary wildly from group to group because a lot of groups play very differently. Hunter and I tend to be a little bit more aggressive than other players. Some groups play very defensively and your desires for what make a good pie slice, they, they differ greatly. So mm-hmm. here's Hunter and I's pecking order. And think of each of these topics as what you should try to make a pecking order of your own with your group. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm just going to kind of run through them in order, and then we'll maybe go into a little bit more detail. Yeah. So first is planet traits. That means industrial planets versus hazardous planets or whatever. 
we that that's the very first thing we want to consider mm-hmm. then it's resource totals and again we're talking within a pi slice and when yeah. we say pi slice we say the three planets adjacent to you and then the planet adjacent to mechatol rex that is on your side of the galaxy your pi slice is four systems plus your home system the equidistant stuff is not necessarily considered unless you start talking these like token considerations but in general we want even resources and then we want fairly balanced tech specialties, or again, tech specialties where the balance of other factors is right, weighted. Right, they can be counterbalanced. Yes. And then, fourth up is wormhole and anomaly positions. If someone has a terrible end of a wormhole right next to their home system, hopefully that's also been counterweighted. And then, um, the next one is kind of a weird one, which is empty space, what I call trenches. I think it's always kind of boring if, like, three empty system tiles are all right next to each other and Ugh. kind of form this, like, boring natural Never border. Never see that. Yeah. No. When, when you have those natural borders between two players, those two people have almost no incentive to, like, get in each other's business. Right. But there will be some sort of natural borders. Yes. There will be other map. versions of natural borders. But just a straight-up boring three empty system tiles is, like, the worst. It's just not fun for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then next up is Influence. This is the biggest one I want to say. Talk to your group and figure out what works best for you. Because for us, Hunter and I don't consider influence as highly as these other factors. But a lot of players consider influence as a very, very big thing to take into consideration. For us, we're okay with a bit of... If if one player has five influence and another player has ten, that's not so big of a deal to us as long as kind of everything else falls into place. Now, if one player has two influence and another has twelve... That's right, something that's, we'll that's try to fix. Acceptable. We we, <laughs> we we do want to fix influence. We're not leaving influence by the wayside, but it's not as high on our priority list, and it might be on yours. Uh, next up is just looking at exactly which systems are directly adjacent to home systems. Um, this is a low on the list consideration, but it's something to look at because sometimes you end up building a map where somebody doesn't have any planets adjacent to their home system, and that should be unacceptable. That's a huge problem. That's yeah. a really big problem because it limits your first round ability to do pretty much anything in most cases. Like, if you don't get warfare, you're not getting any planets. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure every pie slice has at least one system with planets adjacent to the home uh, system preferably two but that doesn't always happen and it's fine as long as again other things are weighted against that mm-hmm. so that's that's our list planet traits resources tech specialties wormhole slash anomaly positions empty space trenches influence and systems adjacent to home system so let's back up a little bit to say what is important yeah, why these. planet traits planet why traits first planet traits there are four different Five different? Four different objectives. There's a bunch of objectives that directly relate to to planet planet traits. And if you give one home slice four cultural planets, that person is going to have a free hold on that objective. And it's not fun to just hand objectives to somebody. It's not interesting because it's it's essentially a planet control objective. And to me, all of those should be the most competitive VPs. And the fact that you can build a galaxy that where those are very easily accomplished. It's just not... Like, I mean... I, we did not do this our first couple games, mm-hmm. or at and least be, our first game. Right. And, like, we saw lots of people running away with games just because, like, they oh, wow, they really had, like, the right traits in the right spot. Yes. And that's really all it was. And, and more importantly, if one person has all the traits, it means all those traits aren't in another part of the galaxy, which means not only is just one person getting the free point, but everybody else has almost zero chance of getting that point like yes we want to encourage um people to to attack each other but when you 
make it to where someone has to dig very, very deep into someone else's home slice, that's not the good kind of competition right. we're talking about. Everything needs to be evenly spaced. That's why we want planets spread all throughout the middle of the map. It, because if, if one person just has this awesome land grab on all the best stuff, it breaks the game. It's I mean, also it makes it too easy. fairly easy to put three of the same yes. type in most people's pie slices. So essentially what you're saying is like, listen, we're going to give you almost everything you need. Yes. Except we're not going to give you right. everything you need, so you're going to have to take it from right. your neighbor. You're going to have to take at least one planet from somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's then, a really. I think the only reason that one's first for us actually is because it's just not that hard to do. It's yeah. very easy to look at it and like. And if you take, if that's the only thing you even really take away from this, I think that it's a that's really enough. solid thing yeah. to take. Yeah. Uh, next up is resources. For us, it's just really important to have fairly balanced resources. Mm -hmm. Again, you're counterweighting this against a lot of different factors, but the range shouldn't be more than. For me, like three or four resources. If yeah. it's like six to ten or six to nine, that's okay. But if you get anything outside of that... There's a problem. There's a problem. Yeah. If, if someone has ten or more resources in their home slice, that is a problem. I think most of the time our maps end up six or seven. Yeah. Each home slice is six or seven. And then the, the equidistant systems change that number. But again, those are equidistant. People have to fight over them. Those are different considerations. But within home slices alone, six or seven is great. Varying outside of that by one or two is okay. If you get much more outside of that, the players tend to kind of run away with it. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing to throw in the face of that is if the brunt of the reason why their home slice is such a high-value system is because Barragler to four is adjacent to Mechatol Rex and it just so happens to be in their pie slice, that's partially okay because that's so far... They're not getting that turn one in most cases. Mm -hmm. The main thing we're trying to avoid is one player turn one having like double or triple the income of other players. Right. That really breaks the game. But if you have to really launch yourself out to get that high resource value thing, that's not as big of a deal. That, right. That's something we can live with. And to be clear, in, in every game that we played, there is always at least a home slice that has less than everybody else. Right. So by we're, one, it's going to happen. And what we're saying is that we're going to take these other things that we have on the list, like mm -hmm. tech specialties um, or influence, and we use that as the counterbalance. Yes. If you have the least resources, you might have the most tech specialties. Right. Um, so speaking of tech specialties, we consider that... Um, so highly only because again there's an objective pertaining to it oh, we don't yeah. really mind if someone has a couple tech objective if, if you have two blue tech specialties that's not ideal but it's not the worst thing in the world but as soon as someone has three easy tech specialties in their pie slice that's something we want to avoid it's if, boring. if the three systems adjacent to you are all tech specialty planets that's that doesn't work for the other players because it's kind there of aren't very many the same color too though. yeah it's like, not great but the biggest thing is Every planet has a planet trait, and there's a lot of variance within that. But there are only eight planets with technology specialties. And depending on how many players are playing, not every single one of... Like, sometimes two or three system tiles are taken out of the game anyways, or more. And so sometimes you might only have four or five technology specialty planets in there. Mm -hmm. And if one person has three of those, that means nobody has pretty much any other ones, which means nobody else is scoring that objective besides yeah. the one person with three. So it's it's pretty important for those to be fairly spread out or at the very least like in all equidistant places because you want people to fight over those and they need to be something you earn. Yeah. 
But I, I will say this. I, I really like the order that we're making here because if you do planet traits first mm-hmm. and then you do resources, by the time you get down to stuff like tech specialties, a lot of this has already been figured exactly. out. Exactly. A lot of it you falls already separated. Yeah. Separated. The, 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 the planets themselves, the designers did a good job of balancing these system tiles. So it's not like, I mean, I don't think Barrig Lerta 4 has a technology specialty. Right. So you're not getting that out of it. You know, all the, the planets are weighted. So when you balance one thing, you are kind of automatically balancing yeah. other things. Um, so the next one is our wormhole thing. This is an important one to note just because, again, if an empty wormhole ends up adjacent to a home system, that can be really scary. And at the very least, you need to make sure you gave them something else good. Yeah. Or if the good end of a wormhole is adjacent to somebody, you need to really consider where the other side of that wormhole is. Right. Because, that is an extra boon having the good side yes, of a wormhole. Yeah. That's worth more than just the resource value exactly. of the planet. Um, so then next up is, like we said, the empty space trenches. We kind of went into that, so I'll, I'll ignore that point for now. Influence, said that a little bit, you know, f- a 5 to 10 ratio uh, balance is, is okay for us. But the big consideration that your group might want to take into account is, I mean, influence can directly translate to the number of command counters. So if one person has a lot of influence and another one has basically none, a lot of players have found that, that gives the other player a way bigger boost than any number of resources would give them. Having two or three extra command counters per round over another player is a pretty scary thing. Yeah. So it is absolutely something you you should consider. And, and maybe the biggest thing, too, if you are giving someone a lot of influence, you should find a way to hurt them in another way yeah, with, the, I, with the tile placement. I think the reason we put this one so low, though, is that like lots of races are very different in their dependence on command counters. Yes. So like there are races that can get away with a little more like necro for example like being able to take tech like you you're not really gonna ever run into a problem of like oh i didn't get to like turn my influence into command counters like well you probably didn't need to anyways yeah Um, And then that last consideration was like we talked about the systems adjacent to home systems just make sure that's not a mess at this point that's why it's the last consideration everything else should be working just fine Mm -hmm. and this should have solved itself by this point but it's good to give it a good double check and just make sure it's not you didn't like totally bone someone's adjacency (laughs) problem and to be clear um i want to say that this is kind of an interesting um discussion because i just realized it takes us less time to do this than, <laughs> than we've it, spent talking about yeah. it, just so you know. Yeah. Like, we you don't should spend, be doing like, this. an hour doing yeah. this. For a brand new player, it might be hard to consider all these things, but as we're building a galaxy, we are constantly considering these things, and it's and it's and a lot of them are non-starters, and our group is friendly and cordial enough with each other. We don't play with too many, like, people we haven't played a lot with nowadays, mm-hmm. and so usually it's very easy to just, like, yeah, okay, we're good. This, this is a good t- system. Let's dive into it, because yeah. everyone wants to play, right. and that's the biggest thing is don't don't waste too much time with all of this. Again, you're just trying to make a fun map. Yeah, it's never going to be perfect, but you exactly. can always make it fun, yes. basically. And then, so now, we have our galaxy. We've made it. It's done. How do we decide where people sit? Because yes. remember, and this has been crucial, yeah. no one knows where they're sitting yes. until we built, we've made the whole thing. Right. We built a galaxy together so that we would remove bias Mm -hmm. from the building process now we see all these systems we see kind of why one is different in another you know in one way to another one and now it's time to pick where we sit the way hunter and i like to do this is we kind of said this earlier when we were talking about the speaker token but everyone rolls a die highest roller picks their first position 
lowest roller takes what's left and gets the speaker token. Um, the other thing we sometimes do within this is as you pick your spot, you reveal your race. So it gives everyone else a little bit more information to go off of. Mm -hmm. So that at very the very least, Jolnar can actively choose to not sit next to Necro or Mentak can try to get close to Hakan, whatever, these sorts of considerations. Um, the other methods that we've seen or have done with seating positions is all random. Everyone just roll a die and end up in a position. I don't personally like this because we've taken away a lot of player agency by building a map cooperatively. You, you haven't got to make any strategic decisions for yourself yet. Right. And getting to at least pick your home slice is a nice way to counterbalance the fact that like we've kind of you could almost consider co-op galaxy building as a random thing and so adding randomness to that can it just makes it feel a little bit less fun that you just ended up in a spot you didn't want to be in i don't think it would be fair to do everything exactly the way that we've described it and then random yes. the seat the sitting position but um, however if you do the competitive method maybe random doing, is the maybe best. random mm -hmm. makes sense maybe maybe you could take everything we're saying and just flip it on its right. head and be competitive yeah. but then not know where you're gonna sit yeah. that might be Ev fun everything we've been talking about is it definitely in terms of this co-op method hunter and i haven't played the competitive method in a long Years. time. It's been a long and time. And I don't know that we... W I mean, I'm sure... I don't miss it. I, really I don't, don't miss it. it. That's the biggest yeah. thing is I, I just don't like playing with it. And everyone I talk to, anytime I've introduced someone to the new method, they're like, oh, I, I like this a lot more. Yeah. Um, and um, say for a couple people, there, there are definitely a few people that like the competition aspect of the other method, but I think it grows stale very quickly. Yeah. Um, the last one, and this is an important one to note, is a lot of people choose... And, and sometimes people do this for choosing... Um, who gets to place tiles first. Sometimes people choose this for picking seating positions, but there's this popular system of like giving everyone a set amount of trade goods and auctioning for positions. Sometimes this is tied to race selection. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the way this method works is, let's say everyone starts with five trade goods, and then you get to choose in some sort of order, um, you know, putting a, a race up for grabs and everyone gets to put in a set amount of money and any money you don't spend on picking a race you get to have at the start of your game. Uh, Hunter and I hate this method. Yeah, I hate it a lot. Like it at all. And it's the same reason we hate the in rulebook five player map where two players get two trade goods and one player gets four trade goods. Um, because honestly, the biggest thing is if you listen to our first round strategy guides, having a player start with four extra trade goods throws everything we talk about out the window. Because if you have a bunch of extra money, there are completely different considerations you have to make. It's like such a huge high variance thing. A lot of people will argue the first round of the game, if you have just a bunch of extra money, it impacts the game so much. Um, you know, if, if you can get off to such a strong footing because you were able to afford a dreadnought over someone else not being able to, just because you sat in a specific position, it, it really ruins things for us. And, and we like starting everyone on the equal footings. The races, although some of them have their strengths and their weaknesses, they were technically built to be balanced against each other. And adding extra trade goods into that factor is a very... It really changes the variance of how you play the game. It also takes away any consistency when it comes to having strategy discussions about these races. Exactly. So like if we're talking about the Arborek, which is a race that has a difficult start, and half of what I consider very good Arborek play is getting past that start. Yeah. Um, if you start with five trade goods, 
uh, I don't know, maybe just want to throw out everything yeah. that, you know, might as well go to that Arborec episode that we made and just delete Burn that it. out yeah. of your folder because, <laughs> you know, that that makes a really huge difference. You starting with that amount yeah. of money. Like yeah. it cha- just changes. It changes the, the race. Yeah, it changes the race significantly. And I mean, and then think about races that already have a really good start. Right. You're going to give them five trade goods on right. top of their, like think about Seoul. Yeah. Starting with five trade goods on top of like. Having, oh my God. Like it just isn't right. It, yeah. it throws off all of the balance of these races. Mm-hmm. And it also just makes it so difficult to even think about all the permutations of this. Right. I mean, our podcast goes out the window yeah. when you do the trade good auction so there, selfishly we're saying yes. that it sucks because we're it's like, <laughs> we're against it yeah but 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 also we played too many we played the the old five player map a lot of times we used to play it kind of exclusively and yeah it always seemed like the person in that position while yes they're closer to their neighbors but them starting with four trade goods always gave them such yeah. a oh, huge upper huge. hand it's really big it's the other two spots even that I think are even better because yeah. they get less trade goods, but your position is pretty nice. Those mm. are the spots I always wanted. Yeah. It's just, yeah, that little boost is great. So after you've picked your spot, we, we built everything kind of cooperatively. We picked a position. We revealed our race either as we went or everyone now, three, two, one, boom, these are the races. Then it's time to, as the rulebook says, prepare your objectives. We don't do anything funky here. Some people like to reveal every single objective. Um, this works maybe for new players that you're just trying to do like a demo game on and give them an idea of like, here's all the ways objectives can hit the board. But I mean, we play this by the books to start revealed. We'll reveal as we go. The big consideration though for us is the, the rulebook doesn't go into strong detail on this but with secret objectives we find it very very important to not just deal two out to everybody and then everybody returns one you need to do this one at a time here's the the way we do it i give hunter two secret objectives he picks one he gives the other one back to me to put in the deck we shuffle the deck we give the deck to the next person to draw two Mm -hmm. rinse repeat if everyone gets two and then returns one there are too many secret objectives that everyone knows are not in the game right to where they get to start making weird decisions based off of knowing that certain things are in the game and they oh, can and talk with each other. Yeah, exactly. exactly. If you that's coordinate with two or three other players about what they put back, you really are kind of throwing off the just, point of the secret objective. Right. And that doesn't feel like Twilight Imperium, right? Way. Like the idea of people being able to share a lot of information exactly. about the secret objectives. The secret objectives staying secret seems kind of essential. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's it. We did it. We set up our game. It took us an hour to talk about how we set up uh, it took one us, game of Twilight Imperium. This is the Imperium. only thing in, in this podcast where it took us longer to describe it vocally yes. than it would take to do it to do in real thing. life. Yeah. Well, trust us. Trust us. Like, it helps. Do not think that we are these like really, really... like. I don't know, just like micromanaging, no. like pregame people. We are not. We are not at all. This can take 15 minutes. Yeah. This whole process can take 15 minutes. It's very easy, and we do it all the time. Do you want to talk about the five players uh, setup that we like? Yeah. So this we're, is kind of a random. We want to talk about. Thing. We want to talk about two um, two different types of maps. So the rule book has a five player map, and as we said, it gives some players trade goods, and it and it really seems broken. Um, in giving up those trade goods, but there's actually a very easy method. What's funny is this this method is not something that like weird crazy fans came up with At least as far as I know it was in the pre-made map PDF that came out with TI3 mm-hmm. They did a weird wormhole system to create essentially what is the same thing I'm about to describe but describing it doesn't really help We will try to tweet some pictures. We already have one picture of it But it's important to visualize this to get it But basically when you build a five-player map you're going to essentially remove one pie slice and you treat 
the gaps between the systems as adjacent to each other. So you kind of build this little warp zone in between mm-hmm. this new gap that you've just cut out. You take out one system adjacent to Mechatol Rex, you take out the system on the way to the home system from there, one equidistant system, and then the three systems that would be adjacent to the home system you've removed, and right. then, of course, the home system. It's virtually one pie slice. I always like to imagine it as like some sort of weird Einstein like space-time yes, dilation exactly. thing that happens. You, you cut a piece of the pie out, and you squished it back together. Yeah. It's, it's hiding the fact that you ate a piece of the pie. You yes. squished the pie back together, and oh, look, it's still a whole pie. And a lot of people know about this. We know this isn't like a super obscure thing in Twilight Imperium, but we just want to make sure that anyone who does not know yes. about this way of doing the five-player method, uh, that it's a really good way, yeah. and we'll have a link to the picture yeah. of it. It's and, great. And, and honestly, it's, it's great because it takes out any variance it treats the five player map as if it were a six player map i mean there's there's no difference it doesn't it doesn't change anything of how you are adjacent to other players the only thing that changes is for two people it's a little bit visually hard to get used to how you are adjacent to each other but after you play with it for a couple hours it becomes very easy to tell the difference yeah i find sometimes with this method what can happen is that the people that are actually close to each other they don't really realize they are and they don't attack each other but then it's like no you actually could be striking across the board. so getting your head past that takes a little bit but um, you know, it, it, it takes it's a much better it's than much better than we'll, we'll say that. I mean, I'm sure somebody might come up and be like, actually, because of yes. the physics of it, right. it is actually, but, <laughs> but no, 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 it's a lot better than trade goods. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is with a four player map, um, in general, I kind of hate four player games. No, Same reason I, I like hate eight player games. The biggest thing is I don't like that every strategy card gets drawn in the game because it makes a lot of races significantly more powerful. Mm-hmm. This is a, kind of a problem of our first round strategies is we really do talk from a five or six player um, strategy when we're talking about these things because when you get into four and three player games things get a lot crazier in how a race is balanced i'm sure eventually we'll kind of go back and we'll try to talk about races from a four player's perspective and a three player perspective yeah, it would be fun we wouldn't do all 17 races get a whole dedicated episode for a four player galaxy no, that's not but we'll cover in more detail three and four player games but just know we don't like strategy cards going to every player but we still keep that in but to balance that the other problem with a four-player galaxy is they keep all the system tiles in and it makes turtling an incredibly strong strategy uh it too strong in my opinion so what we like to do is if you're looking at the booklet we shave off the two blue edges of of the galaxy basically we take out eight system tiles and it forces a lot more competition on those four players and makes you have to kind of challenge each other over positioning um if you're taking out eight systems the only problem with that is you kind of have to be very careful about which ones you take out because if you take out eight system tiles and all of those were tech specialty systems you've kind of broken the game because if a tech specialty objective comes out well okay you have a problem so you kind of have to cultivate your deck a little bit more if you're doing this but I think it's worth it because the most boring games I've ever played were four-player games where just nothing happened for six hours. To be clear, though, that we are a five-player, six-player podcast. Yeah. Like the, All of the data, I would say, from any four-player games we've played are not admissible in like Space yeah. Cats Peace Turtles court, basically. To a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, we've... there's some things that are like you're still going to know from a four-player game, mm-hmm. but it's just weighted. It's not... We, we would never build an argument about a race from a four-player game perspective. Uh, The other thing, we want to talk about more house rules. Um, This is a long episode. Boy, howdy. So we got more to talk about. Um, One other thing that Hunter and I have always toyed around with um, is the idea of kind of undermining everything we just said about 
veto method of drawing races and building the galaxy and all this stuff. And, and we're really interested in trying to develop some sort of ban pick phase thing for races for races like banning a race and, and, and honestly race. we really want to find a way to counterweight every single aspect of setup where ideally you would everyone would roll one die and off of that one die roll every other decision kind of gets bounced off of it one the person who ha- rolled highest gets to choose this thing first but they get to choose this thing last and then back and forth and mm-hmm. and kind of balance everything off of that one die roll um so with a band pick phase the idea has always been you start by everyone banning one race from the or, game or you, half of them banning like yeah. it, it, it there's a lot of different ways it could go i think really what we're doing well, the reason we're bringing this up is we would love to hear your guys's ideas yes. for these we, we really want to put the call out of give us kind of more ideas for how we can counterweight decisions in the beginning game setup um, because that's that's the biggest thing we want to do all that is in service of like we would love to you know we're going to be recording this tournament at gen con and we're really interested in tournament or league play and if you play in some sort of twilight imperium league we'd love to know like what systems are in place for controlling those things and we're just really interested in kind of organizing this stuff even more um in general when we just do pickup games of twilight imperium it's fun to just do the things we do but it would be nice to know what system works best for like over time you know in 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 a cumulative sessions kind of situation so banning and picking is big um we feel like if you're doing any sort of tournament play or any sort of ban pick phase interaction pre-made maps become a lot more necessary it seems like there's there becomes a lot of other factors to account for and if you are building the map on top of all of that mm-hmm. i don't know it, it really throws things through a loop but also i mean may, maybe not like if someone could come up with a sort of a sort of mesh of competitive and our cooperative like way of doing it and bring that into some sort of counterbalanced. Now we're really going off and we're just playing. But, but really (laughs) I think it would be really great if somebody came up with some sort of universal competitive, Mm -hmm. but not, not the not competitive in the way that TI has started with galaxy creation, but something that feels really kind of like, cutthroat in the way that i don't know if any of you played dota but the way that captain's mode right. and dota feels very like this is very challenging yes. you know and when someone succeeds in captain's mode it means more than if they're playing like all pick mode right. or something like that right. um so yeah this is kind of us putting the call out to like hey let's all as a as a group let's start developing yeah this. what what do you guys like you've just heard basically the space cats peace turtles pre game ritual and exactly how it works we've broken it down like for you completely and now i just want to know what other stuff is out there is has somebody figured this out mathematically to an extent that we have not right you know and and what are those what are those methods basically yeah Yeah. so um we kind of want to fade out here with um a few other house rules that that we play with and some of them are not even things we necessarily ever thought of as house rules but as we've played with more and more people we realize not everybody plays the way we do Mm -hmm. Uh, and the biggest one of those is i never knew that people do not like to play with backdoor politics and secret conversations um hunter and i started playing like risk in axis and allies was especially big for us and in axis and allies it makes makes absolute sense for the allies to step out of the room and have a conversation about the strategy they're going to employ in their next round and the allies or the access to do the same thing and you are playing against each other as big groups um, and the problem with access and allies for us was we always wished someone could 
backstab. Yeah, we always wanted these back. We, we always yeah, wanted like these Russia could defend exactly. or something like that. We always wanted those kind of things. And so when we discovered Twilight Imperium, we were like, oh, "That's the game where we can right, do that." Right. So for us, Twilight Imperium has always been about backdoor politics and secret conversations mm-hmm. and hunter and i stepping into the other room and coming up with a strategy to kind of have an alliance and then the second hunter steps out of the room i bring someone else in and tell them everything we just talked about because i'm planning on backstabbing favorite yeah. thing to do <laughs> and so um it's it's important to note i guess we found out that people don't like doing this and the biggest uh, complaint about it is it drastically slows down the game and we agree with this and i think it's just that over time we've built up kind of an etiquette that we didn't realize we were building, but Mm -hmm. in general, we do not really let people go have secret conversations unless it's during the status phase. We're kind of all just doing cleanup, and then it's like, okay, we finished that round, we got through all the stuff... All right, we need to go talk. It's time. It's time to talk. It's honestly just kind of good because it creates like a little bit of a break at yes. the end of every status phase where people might generally need a break anyways, mm-hmm. and yeah. so they might appreciate the fact that people are now having secret conversations. Yeah. Now that's not strictly enforced. If some crazy thing happens on the table and we recognize like, uh, that really impacts your relationship with that player. If you two right. need to step out of the room, we we understand. Yeah, there's definitely been action phase secret conversations, especially if it's kind of like for the entire game. Right. Like that for sure yeah. has happened. Last round, secret conversations become the entirety of the final round. Yeah. yeah, and that's definitely true. And I just don't, I feel like, I understand people's complaint about it slowing the game down, but I just feel like this is why I wanted yeah. to play in the first place. So I get, I would get kind of, miffed if i was playing in a group where they really did not appreciate any secret conversation and honestly i sat down and committed to playing a long game like i knew it was going to be a long game right and for us the secret conversations have never added more than a half hour or an hour to the total playtime. but they add so much interest and intrigue into the game i have heard people say that them allowing backdoor politics added much much more time and if that were the case then i would say maybe you need to just put a rein on how much time people are allowed to spend in the box yeah we've certainly had situations where we had to be like um if you guys are stepping away you have a minute to figure out what it is you're trying to do uh, and that's so exciting yeah. too like, exactly I love Set, that idea setting a shot to... clock is is always very interesting that mm-hmm. goes for around the table as well we 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 have we don't have a strict shot clock um thing in our games but like i'm notorious for kind of not realizing i'm taking so long and it's really nice honestly to have someone at the table be like okay matt i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna give you a minute now yeah. and i go oh god i'm so sorry okay yes and then mm-hmm. i you know it, it helps me and i know this is kind of a bigger conversation about board gaming and like analysis paralysis in general but because twilight imperium is such a long game it is especially prone to these sorts of problems and so i think having a loosely enforced shot clock is is a great thing to have and always doing it politely when i'm not the active player i tend to to just consistently remind the player that it's their turn or just be like, so what do you, what are you thinking? Or how, I, I try not to do it in a way that makes it feel like I'm rushing them, but lets them know we are kind of waiting on you. So, you know. right. In a really good way to keep this in track on check in check <laughs> is to have a turn tracker. Exactly. Right yeah. So one, one, uh, we have a version of it. We've seen multiple versions of it out there, but a turn track for us, we just have a paper thing with a dial on it and we put each person's control marker in a section of the dial. There's six positions, right? And every time someone's turn is over, we turn the dial to mm-hmm. the next person. And when someone has played their strategy card, we move 
the com control token a little bit further away from the center. And when they pass, we move it off of the turn tracker in general. And so you're always moving the dial and you kind of just always have something to point to, to be like, Hey, you're, you're up on the, you're up on the list. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, nothing's worse than that, that moment of someone finishes a turn and everyone else has been very diligently like paying attention right, to things. Right. And then three minutes goes by and someone goes, whose turn is it? And then, Everyone has to think about it for a second and figure it out. And goes, oh god, it's it's my turn. I had no idea. Yeah, that's so, when the game can really start to like slog. Yes, is when you have yeah. that feeling of like I'm not even sure where we're at anymore right. because this game is like kind of taken over my brain. Some people put up like system. a whiteboard. There's there's multiple yeah. different versions, but having some sort of turn tracker. We talked about this a little bit in our learn to learn and learn. Oh, to play we episode. definitely touched on this idea. But before. it's it is certainly helpful, and it, it also gets to help act as that kind of pseudo shot clock. Mm -hmm. um, the the last couple. Um, I don't know if we even call these house rules, but... This is just fun stuff Space that everybody Cats, should do. Space Cats Peace Turtles is very into f building up the flavor of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a playlist, and it's actually a public playlist. I use Google Music, and almost nobody in the world seems to use Google Music. But I have a public playlist on Google Music that is called Space Cats Peace Turtles Twilight Imperium Soundtrack. And I don't know if you don't pay for Google Music if you're able to use it, but you can search it and, and listen to what we listen to. It's a lot of video game soundtracks and movie soundtracks, mm -hmm. a lot of Hans Zimmer and a lot of uh, Johan Johansson, stuff like There's that. There's disaster pieces There's disaster on there. Piece. And uh, it's just a lot of stuff that feels like the right tone of space. And we just always have that lightly on in the background. But more important than that, and if you watched our Holiday Spectacular, you'll know that we have fight music. And yes. fight music is crucial to uh, building impact of moments. Every single person before the game decides on what their fight theme song is. And every time you are the aggressor in a fight, anytime you drop a command token on someone else's system tile, it's time to pull out the phone right. and play your fight song. Oh, it's best though. The best way to do it is to start playing your fight music before, and then yeah. throw the <laughs> command counter down. That because you start the music and everybody's like, oh no, uh -oh, where is it gonna be? going to be? And you just look at all of it and then bam, the command yeah. counter goes down and then it's on and it's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. It's a lot more fun. I think it also just keeps people in engaged exactly. with the game. It's a, you know? This game is really easy to turn into too much strategy and not enough flavor and mm -hmm. constantly reminding people that like, hey, this is supposed to be fun. It's nice to do, which is another reason why we don't do too much like role playing, but... There is a little bit of like, you know what the flavor of your... When you play as the Barony of Letnev, we've talked about this before, but like you play as a big, mean baddie. Yeah. And and it's just important to like think about the flavor and make that flavor incorporated into your fight music sometimes. If, if you're the Barony, play the, you know, the march from Darth Vader. Like play anything like right, that. Like right. make it fit to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think all those things help add to the game quite a lot. Yeah. Patreon. So we, we made it through the brunt of our episode and now... We promised we would talk a little bit more about the Patreon. Now, you can go to the link uh, that we'll have in this Reddit thing. We posted it on Twitter. We'll try to keep getting it out there. We, we probably need a website at some point. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we probably um, do need that. But in general, um, patreon.com slash turtles, no spaces, no, nothing like that. Uh, that's our Patreon. And if, if you are the type of person who likes to support content and help us make bigger and better content, we would love to have your donations. So he here's us giving our pitch we also have a video on our patreon if you want to have probably the more succinct pitch but we want to just go over some of the things that are that our patreon is going to include i just want to say though before we get into it i'm very excited about it yeah like, it's it, fun. It, this is the this is where we really start expanding this project yeah and making it bigger and better and showing this game basically off to and everybody. It's, it's reliant on your input yeah uh, and and that's why we currently like the way we have structured our Patreon, but we're also 
constantly open to new ideas. Uh, there's a lot of things in our patch round where we've never done a patch round. We've never done anything like this at all. And so we kind of just had to throw spaghetti at the wall and hope right. that this was good enough. But if you think, you know, a particular reward tier or something isn't isn't up to snuff, I mean, let us know. We want, we want you to be incentivized to take part in this with us. So that being said, um, our Patreon, the, the most important rule for us that we've set is we will not lock anything behind paywalls. There will no never be, for there will never be subscriber only episodes. There will never be subscriber only videos. The things that we want to entice you with, with our uh, Patreon are getting to be an even more integral part to the process of designing episodes and designing content. You get to have a say in what we're putting out there, not so much just getting a free look at something. Um, so that being said, we kind of want to real quickly go through what our reward tiers are. So um, in our Patreon, if you just donate a dollar, um, we want to grant you lands and titles, as it were. <laughs> uh, it's really important to us to, to acknowledge everyone who has given us something and, and a dollar is is more than we can expect from anybody honestly and right. so if you get if you get a dollar every time we talk about you on the podcast now this takes a little bit of coordination of like making sure we know all of your usernames across all these other things mm-hmm. and hunter and i in general are going to have to get a lot better at organizing how we collect material but um if you donate a dollar you get to choose your title uh we already have one we don't have any errata for them right now but just to give you an example every time we refer to our user sino unsure they will from here forth be known as sad boy sino unsure um so we we really want to thank him for uh his donation and and just if you if you donate us any level of money you get Whatever title you want. Some examples are just Mr., Mrs., Doctor, Reverend, Sad Boy, Weird Bear. Peace Turtle. Yeah, anything. Go go crazy. Give it, Make it something a reference to your own play group. We don't care. We just want to be able to recognize you as someone who helped us out. Yeah, and it'll just be nice any time that we refer to someone to have like a specific name that they've chosen. Because yes. a lot of times when we get you know, feedback from people. Mm-hmm. We're having to kind of just on the spot decide like, well, this is, I guess, who they're going to be. Yeah, like, you this know, is how it's pronounced. Especially if we get like an email. Sometimes it can be strange because it's yeah. like, right, are we going to broadcast that person's, person's first and yeah. last name? That doesn't <laughs> seem right. And they send us their social security number. This doesn't really make sense. Uh, we also, for $5, you get to join our Galactic Council. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and as part of our Galactic Council, this is the important point to note of, we have a Discord now. Uh, and some of these donation incentives are linked to uh, forums within the Discord. So if you are part of the Galactic Council, um, one episode a month from here on out is going to be kind of a special episode. This would be a good example of mm-hmm. the kind of special episode. A this kind is of off-topic An off-topic. We're, this isn't our strategy guide. This is a different thing. And each month we will consult with our Galactic Council, and they will all help vote on what the next month's interesting episode is gonna be we'll throw some ideas at you we'll take input we'll just it'll be a conversation in that forum about what people would like to see as the next episode so for five dollars you get to get in basically to space cats and kind of guide us like push us towards the type of content that you want to see in a very literal way i mean we're literally giving you a vote yeah uh then if we upgrade it from there uh for $10, you get to join the Steve Martin fan club. And, this uh, is huge. This is huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, obviously, with each of these incentives, you get everything from below it. Uh, and in this one, we just want to make sure we give credit to people. I mean, obviously, since we're not trying to put anything behind paywalls, we're not trying to offer anyone content. So we're just trying to keep involving you in the process. So for $10, uh, we want to be able to read off some credits 
every week. Uh, we won't read every single name every single week because we don't know how many people will start to donate to this, and we don't want to be reading 400 names. Not that it would ever be that many, but right. again, we don't want to just read the exact same names every single week. Uh, that might drive some listeners away. But we do want to give credit where credit is due. So, for example, uh, like this week, we would just love to thank chisel or chisel i'm not sure how they pronounce it but they're very active on twitter and they're, they're mm-hmm. always around our conversations um they're a part of the steve martin fan club tom or thom i've never known how do you pronounce t-h-o-m um, i'm pretty sure it's just tom but it might not actually be yeah either way be. thank you we want to thank chris o'sullivan jada paik jesper person and billy krueger for for going above and beyond the ten dollar donation but but you get the credit because you are also a member of the steve martin fan club steve martin the- thanks you and we thank you <laughs> steve martin thanks you that's actually gonna be the format for it every single yeah. time it's not necessarily us thanking you but yeah. steve martin steve, steve sent us is, the list of people he wanted to thank this that's week. that's how patreon works is that steve martin kind of goes through all of the the patrons and of then course. he sends us the list and then we thank he thanks you on yes. our behalf yes. we there's no way we would be able to do it without right. steve no of course the next donation incentive we have is you get to become a part of the good yin brotherhood everyone knows about the bad yin brotherhood but if this you think secret if, space cats only <laughs> good, good yin, brotherhood. yin brotherhood and at 25 dollars um we basically want to have your input on the episodes to a certain extent of course we already do this right we're always talking to the community we have errata but this is more pre-errata to get in on the ground floor we'll talk to you about the episodes that are upcoming if we're about to do our barony strategy we'll jump into the discord forum for the good yin brotherhood and ask everyone that is a part of it Hey, what are your guys' thoughts on the barony? We we need some input and and we'll try to include things that you've talked about and we'll credit you for the input that you gave us. So, we want you to be a part of the design of the strategy. We want you to have a say in kind of what gets broadcast about what we say about particular strategies. You can essentially in this tier be a part of the pre-production yes. of this show for exactly. as many episodes as you want, right. basically. Yeah, it's it's up to you how much uh, how how involved you get in that process, but we'll always be reading that forum and the final uh, incentive we have right now is kind of the magic dreamland fifty dollar uh donation and it's it's hard to say how much you give somebody for something like that um we we want you, you are a part of our space kitties our special you know hunter and i are the space cats peace turtles but anyone who donates that much they're our space kitties and we will make a point to anytime you submit any errata or anything like that we will use it. Right now, we kind of use like what we think is the most topical. We don't even necessarily use the best stuff. A lot of times, multiple people will say the same things, and we just try to use the things that are the easiest for us to, to touch on and right. talk about. Some things lead to too much debate, and we can't really talk about those things, or some things are like, well, that's a pretty simple point to bring up, and there's not much to say. Um, but for any of our space kitties who submit any sort of errata or any thoughts, we will always include what you have to say you become a third fourth fifth etc member of the team and we will always want your word to be heard for now i mean the way that i think about the space kitties tier is that you're basically going to just have like a corner of the podcast every errata if you feel like throwing in a thought or something for us to respond to or bounce off of we will happily include that yes every single episode yeah you you're a member of the team in our eyes do we want to talk goals because we kind of let's go ahead and (laughs) announce um we've already passed our first goal we had no idea what to expect with this patreon we don't know what you know we're not like the biggest podcast in the world we do okay for a podcast about one single board game 
But uh, we, we had no idea what to expect, and our $50 donation incentive was already met. We met it within two days. That's amazing. Holy cow. Again, thank, thank, you, thank, you, you, thank 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 you. And with that incentive, we will now promise you we will do every once every two months, we will do a This Imperium Life episode. Mm -hmm. We were already kind of within that wheelhouse. I think our two last ones were within two or three months of each other. But we want to make sure we make a point to do that. And so you can guarantee before the end of April... We'll have another This Imperium Life. Mm-hmm. Um, for Once we reach $100, which as of time of recording, we're already almost there. I kind of wouldn't be surprised if by the time this episode airs, we've passed it. Matt, from the future, I can safely report that that is exactly what happened. Uh, and we're even getting close on our third uh, incentive. So, uh-oh. But our goal with that one is we want to be able to stream uh, more. We want to do more video content. Um, now... We, we wrote this one up and, and kind of were, were making things up as we went. And we would love to do streams. And we would hope to do one or two a month. We basically want to stream as many of our games make sense. Can, yeah. But the thing we hope you give us some wiggle room on there is we play with other people who are not a part of Space Cats, Peace Turtles, and not all of them you know, necessarily want their public image thrown out there or want their play style criticized right. by you know hundreds of people. So... Um, we will stream the games that make sense to stream and have the people who are willing, but we cannot stream every single game that we play. But in general, you can you can rest assured we will try to get more stuff out there. Uh, we've been holding off on a lot of that stuff to until we had a lot more equipment, and because we have reached certain amounts, we'll be able to start affording that sort of equipment. And we wanna we wanna show you our wares. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll try to stream more often. I, um, my vision for that project is to for us to have a monthly stream at least yeah, that features nice. kind of just like a group, like kind of the same group. Right. So basically if we have a group of people that are all cool with, all cool it. with it and into it, um, and I think this would be very, very possible. I just think that also me and Matt are surprised by how well this, this is Patreon doing. We has did not done expect that to get met so quickly. Uh, yeah. So the next one, and who knows how long it takes us to get to this one, but maybe shorter than we thought, is at $200 a month. Uh, we wanted to start doing on the thing we said bi weekly, but we weren't sure what to expect. This might become a monthly thing. I don't know. This is where we want to hear your input, but we want to start doing basically a community FAQ series. Uh, we think there's always a lot of errata we don't read, there's a lot of comments that don't specifically pertain to like the episode at hand Mm -hmm. you know maybe we've already you know we talked about extra three weeks ago and someone had something new to say about extra when are we going to get that out there well we want to start doing a video series or maybe mini podcast episodes whatever whatever works best at the timing of things but uh, basically kind of like a more open-ended errata thing where we just take any and all user submitted questions and let's we, we break down everything that has been asked to us that we can so however often makes sense maybe it's a short five minute video every other week maybe it's a longer video once a month whatever whatever works for what you guys want so please let us know yeah, I will, I, it will be so amazing if we reach that goal. That yeah, will be completely... Yeah. And then we will have to come up with bigger yeah. goals. So I don't know where we go be from beyond there. Our, uh, I mean, we do have bigger goals, though. We the biggest, maybe talk about The that. biggest goal, honestly, is... It's and still it does, the Gen Con It's the Gen Con. Video. All of this Patreon, we have to drive this home, is for our Gen Con tournament video. Uh, Gen Con is August 2nd through the 5th. We will be there. 
we will be bringing a team of people with us mm -hmm. to help do a tournament video of the tournament that'll be going on there. We're not running the tournament personally, so as far as like knowing the rules and stuff like that, you'll have to hit up the tournament organizers. Um, but we want to just cover it as though we were sports broadcasters. And um, that's what this Patreon has really been all about, is helping us get all those yeah. that gear and those people out there. So honestly, our biggest incentive is we want to make enough money through this Patreon to pay for that cost because it will end up being quite a lot because we, we are intending to send about six people who all don't live in Indianapolis right. and we kind of all live in all the different corners of the country. Yeah, we actually don't have any Indianapolis crew. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, we have one in Chicago. We have one person. Yeah, we, we will, as we get closer to the dates, we might start asking for... Um, help with this process for people mm -hmm. who are there local and, and it might be easier to coordinate things that way. We'll get to that point. But in general, just know that's the biggest goal for this Patreon. Right. And, and once we've kind of met that goal of getting the video done and, and feeling like Hunter and I didn't spend thousands of dollars out of our own pocket, mm -hmm. then we will be able to work on whatever that next big goal is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all to say, please keep taking part in this with us. We, we want we want to keep this going with you. Um, join that Patreon. Even if you're not a part of the Patreon, join our Discord. We'll start putting links for our Discord out there and, mm -hmm. and try to get everyone invited who wants to be a part of it. Uh, there will obviously be a general public forum where everyone gets to just hang out, um, but we'll have you know our special Yin Brotherhood council meetings and we'll have our Galactic council meetings and whatnot. I'm going to try and hang out on that Discord quite a lot. Yeah. I feel like I <laughs> haven't interacted with the community personally um, as much, obviously, as Matt has. Matt is more, when you're reading Space Cat's Peace mm -hmm. Turtle stuff out there on Reddit or Twitter or what have you, a lot of that is Matt. Um, but, like, I love just hanging out on Discord yeah. and playing, you know, like PUBG and a bunch of random stuff. So if you like games like that, um, just get on our Discord and yep. hang out. It's, yeah. That sounds really It'll fun to fun. me. All that being said, that, that pretty much wraps it up for us. We can do the normal rundown. Hopefully that wasn't too much advertisement for We're, you. Oh. We promise we won't do that Patreon pitch every week. That's, no, that's, no, This no, is no, just no. a one-time. We just announced it. We're getting we want to let you know. Uh, we're also is. not doing a Rada for the Nalu episode no, we'll right now. Week. That would because we're at an hour thirty. And a half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we so we're go. gonna do that next week. Yep. So follow us on at Space Cats Pod at Twitter, Space Cats Peace Turtles on Facebook. Find our posts on the Twilight Imperium subreddit each week. You can also Gmail us Space Cats Peace Turtles at gmail.com. We have a Board Game Geek Guild. We always link to that in our Reddit post. It's kind of hard to send it to people. It's got just a weird code for a URL, but that's where we post our calendar so you can see what's coming up uh, and you can talk to us on Board Game Geek. And then Hunter, in two days, you got stuff going on. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're, we're recording this in the future. So I guess in two days from you hearing this, I will be in San Francisco doing a lot of stand-up comedy shows. If you like stand-up comedy, and a lot of these are probably 21 and over, I'll let you know that. Um, but I will be in San Francisco doing a lot of shows on March 1st. I'm going to be at Milk Bar at 8 p.m. On March 2nd, which is a Friday, I will be uh, performing on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, and I'll be on two shows that night, one at 8 p.m. called Pamtastic's Fun Thingy, um, and then another at 10 p.m. Uh, called Rad R-A-D. Um, the great thing about the Mutiny Comedy 
festival is that because it is a radio station, all of the performances will be broadcast. So I will be posting that on our Twitter Mm -hmm. and on our Facebook. So even if you cannot make it to San Francisco, you can probably hear me do um, comedy. I will say this, though. This is a PG podcast. Mm -hmm. um, And my comedy and the comedy of other stand-up comedians (laughs) is very much not that. So Mm -hmm. I just want to go ahead and let you know if you want to listen to that. You're going to be hearing me in a very different (laughs) avenue than what you're maybe used to. Um, I do talk about a lot of Twilight Imperium in my act. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. That's not a thing at all. Um, Let me throw some more dates at you real quick. Saturday, March 3rd, I'm going to be at Bar Fluxus at 8 p.m. And then I'm going to be back at Mutiny at 10 p.m. for a show called Underwear Only. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) And then Sunday, March 4th, I will be um, hosting a show called Hell Hat Improv at the Mutiny Comedy radio festival and then i'm doing another show at 7 p.m called neck of the woods and i still do not know where that is <laughs> are you ever gonna and know i will probably know um but it will probably not be until the show that's, that's probably great. when i will find out um hopefully i'll even be able to make it to that so who knows that that's probably the your worst bet if, if all those honestly the milk bar show the one that's the one that i'm most excited about i think it's a it's a pretty cool venue um that a lot of people i've met and talked uh to have actually been there mm-hmm. for just random things so milk bar thursday march 1st at 8 p.m that's the one awesome so thanks thank you for being a part of our patreon thank you for listening to our show thank you for playing twilight imperium with us or with everyone else you play twilight imperium mm-hmm. with uh it's the best game in the world, and we should just keep growing it. Yeah. So, and well, give me that play of the week. Okay, yeah. Play of the week. I almost forgot to, yep. to bring us one, but Un- Unaligned Magi gave us a, a really great one. Uh, so here, here's our play of the week. Come on, play, play of the play week. Of the week. Right. It was a six-player game. All of us had seven or eight points, except for Yasarl, who only had three. The Yasaro player turns to a player with seven points and says, Do you want to trade support for the thrones with each other? The player says... Uh, sure, I'm morbidly curious as to what you're about to do here. And the Yasaro player now has four points, and then proceeds to attack all of the eight-point players, taking away just enough planets so that those players can't score the 16-influence two-pointer, while also scoring an action phase secret and flipping Imperial for a two-pointer themselves. He is then able to go through the status phase knowing no one else can win, and then scores another secret as well as gives ten trade goods and wins. Three up to ten points in one round. Crazy. That's our second Ysarl play of the week, and uh, it just goes to show. I think Ysarl is is just the playmaker. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum.